Welcome to our second segment of this afternoon's program. It's Sunday, the 15th of August, 2021. It is now 1.41 p.m. in the studio. I'm your host, Kieran Murdoch. Good afternoon. We're going to discuss the police response to the events of August the 8th. Uh, there's been a lot of public frustration and resentment uh, over the actions of police on the day uh, who arrived and met a crowd they deemed to be uh, unlawfully protesting uh, as permission to host a march had been denied, uh, even though the organizers and protesters had resolved to be stationary and not march. There are a number of troubling things which were observed on the day in question. Uh, as stated, the crowd was not violent, nor was it moving anywhere when the gas was deployed. Um, riot officers on the truck did not appear to clear other uniformed police personnel from the area before deploying gas. Uh, they essentially gassed their own officers who could be seen running alongside protesters when the gas canisters started being launched. In one video that I saw, ironically, a riot officer is being assisted by a bystander with water to wash out tear gas. Um, the tear gas did affect non-participants in the area who were simply spectating or going about their business. Uh, in some cases, the tear gas affected people in their homes and nearby areas. Uh, the police uh, chased protesters towards the nearby bus station and also into uh, the uh, surrounding community in Grace Farm and other areas. There were several children that could be seen amongst the crowd when the gas was released. And so questions have been asked about procedures and protocols that govern whether or not uh, that sort of thing must be taken into account before agents like tear gas are released. That was a, not a decision of the police to go after children, but if you bring your, your child into an illegal match, there are certain consequences that will come with it. So I think that is what happened because everyone knew especially the organizers and I heard one of the organizers on the radio on Saturday was saying they did not get permission and I think it is irresponsible if you know a match is illegal to still want to participate in it so there might be some consequences with it and you have to accept and this, is, of course, is the police commissioner. You was speaking at a press conference the day after, which was Monday. Uh, and in one incident, uh, officers are seen um, restraining a man whom they used the, the, the butt of a rifle to, to smack as they were restraining him. Three officers, uh, two were restraining him and one smacked him with a gun butt. Uh, so these are some of the troubling things that uh, were witnessed in the police response. Of course, then rioting uh, did occur. You had uh, that taking place late into the night. Persons were setting fires, throwing missiles at the police, uh, preventing fire tenders from uh, ousting fires, uh, and the violence escalated. Our question is, was the decision to gas the crowd reckless or necessary in the circumstances? Um, joining our panel for this discussion, we're happy to have with us Mr. Akash Maharaj. Uh, he is the ambassador at large for the Global Organization of Parliamentarians Against Corruption. Uh, the body is an international alliance of elected parliamentarians aiming to combat corruption, strengthen good governance, and uphold the rule of law. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Maharaj. Good afternoon. Uh, we are also joined on this panel by Mr. Courtney Miles. Uh, he's joining us from the Cayman Islands. Uh, he very recently retired from the Cayman Islands Police Service at the rank of inspector. Uh, his career with the Cayman Islands Police Service spanned 42 years. Uh, he was most recently the head of the Community Policing Department, and he is also a former police prosecutor in the Cayman Islands. Uh, and we're happy to have him with us. Uh, if you could unmute your microphone for us now, Mr. Courtney Miles. Uh, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing very good. Mr. Akash Maharaj, uh, I just want to get your um, your initial reaction. Do you think that the decision to use tear gas on Sunday the 8th was reasonable and justified in the circumstances? You know, these are always difficult decisions. And I have to say that the, uh, the rightness or wrongness of the decision has to be measured not only against the intention of the police, but also the outcome. Clearly, 
the result of gassing the protesters was that the situation escalated rather than de-escalated. It, it helped to provoke rioting afterwards. It caused people to be to run about indiscriminately. So to the extent that one of the objectives was to disperse a public gathering at a time of pandemic, it had the opposite effect. So clearly, this was not a good decision. I suppose the question one would have to ask one's own is, what in those circumstances should the police have done differently? And to a certain extent, I think that the, the errors that were made were not just the, the actual decision to pull the trigger, as it were, both literally and metaphorically, to use tear gas and to use rubber bullets. It was everything leading up to this protest. That is, that notwithstanding the fact that the, pro the, the police say that the protest required permission and that they denied permission, they were aware that this protest was going to happen. You want to prevent... Uh, the first duty of police is not to catch wrongdoers, it is to prevent wrongdoing. And I have to say the situation does appear to have been mishandled. Uh, and Mr. Courtney Miles, uh, what is your impression? Do you think that the decision to deploy tear gas was reasonable and justified in the situation from what you've seen? What I would say is uh, I did take time out to do my own research on this matter. And um, the decision taken by the police, in my opinion, was not a appropriate one. There were other measures that could have been uh, taken and they were reckless on the green. They did not carefully plan out their strategy as to how they would deal with these protesters. And they only escalated this matter. Mm. Uh, and, uh, well, I'm curious uh, because it's, just, it's a topic that we will go into um, as, we, as we move on, but we could touch on it now uh, in asking uh, how would you approach a situation like that uh, you have a crowd um, you've deemed that they're unlawfully there you do want them to disperse uh, and of course you've asked them to disperse but they are not heeding uh, your commands what do you, what do you do well uh, first of all uh, they must have had a leader get to their leaders speak to their leaders and uh, come to some agreement use them to your advantage in getting the crowd dispersed yeah, there's, there's a lot of options that were open to them. Mr. Akash Maharaj, um, we saw a situation where the police had denied permission for an event, but the organizers arrived at the planned starting location for the event anyway, uh, and uh, protesters uh, did not uh, wish to be ushered away. Uh, they were not violent, uh, but they were unwilling to leave. Um, what do you think the police should have done or could have done differently in that situation, Mr. Maharaj? Let me begin by saying that the right to protest is a fundamental right in any, in any democracy. That, Having said that, no right is absolute, and in many countries, indeed in most countries, some form of permission is required for large public oh. gatherings, especially during times of, um, of, of pandemic. But, and I, I say this as someone who, as I understand it, the objective of, of the protest was to protest against compulsory vaccination for the public service or compulsory testing those are Let me, if i could if i could just if i could just jump in for a moment i do want to uh, just to add to that with um, a, a bit of further information uh the government has implemented um a, a, a mandatory testing for persons in the public sector who are unvaccinated there's been a lot of rhetoric uh which has characterized that uh, in terms of saying of course the government saying we want more people to be vaccinated and expressing frustration with persons who are unvaccinated uh, but i do think it needs to be stated just for our listeners benefit uh that the government has not made vaccination mandatory even though of course the criticism that has come at them is the pressures being placed on persons to be vaccinated um 
almost make it so. Uh, but I just wanted to state that information just for the sake of clarity. Thank, thank you. The only reason I mention this is to say that I personally am not, I'm not very sympathetic to that, but I'll put that aside. It's important for me to say that because the right to protest should not depend on whether we agree with those who are protesting or not. It's only a right. The real test of our commitment to democratic ideals is our willingness to extend rights to people with whom we disagree. So having said that, I think that when the police denied permission to the protesters to hold that protest, there should have been an alternative. In other words, it appears to me that the, pro that the police simply said to this large group of people, no, you may not gather, and expected that that would be the end of it. Clearly, that was a misjudgment. If the police have and public authorities have legitimate reasons for which they did not wish this protest to happen, for example, they might be concerned that during a pandemic, it could be a spreading event, then they should have suggested or worked with the protesters to give them an alternative way of making their voices heard. Because anyone who has been involved in public affairs knows that when you have an issue about which people feel very passionately, where they have a, a desire to protest and where they are bound and determined to protest, you have two choices. One is to manage the situations to give the situation to give them the opportunity to express themselves in some way, shape or form. The other is to invite a confrontation with them. So, for example, the police might have said you may not gather in a single large group in the center of town, but you may hold a protest somewhere else. You may hold a protest if you if you have your own stewards who commit to keeping protesters some specified distance apart from one another. Um, you may in the alternative have um, we will offer you a meeting with public officials so that you can express but simply to say no to people you may not protest is almost certainly a guarantee that those people will come and will protest and when they do so you are guaranteeing that there will be some kind of confrontation the way uh, as i said before they it's not just a question of whether the police made a bad decision in the heat of the moment it's also a question of whether the police made a bad decision in allowing the situation to develop where there would be a heat of the moment. Um, Mr. Mr. Courtney Miles, I'm going to play a, a, a clip for you and I want to get your reaction to it. Well, I'll ask a question after I play the clip and the reaction, I assume, will be part of your response. But uh, listen to this audio clip. In our estimation, it was appropriate at that time to use the tear gas because all other means of persuasion had failed, and that was another level of force. There are other greater level of force. I am thankful we never had to reach to that greater level of force. So that was just another level. After verbal persuasion and then graphic persuasion, then you move to rubber bullets, tear gas, and we didn't have to move to further levels. So it was a police decision? The commander on the ground made that decision. Uh, so essentially, the, the police commissioner is saying that um, uh, they verbally told them to move. They didn't move. And they displayed a sign saying, if you don't move, you're going to be gassed. They didn't move. And therefore, uh, at that point, according, I, I'm assuming, to what he's saying, police procedure in Antigua Barbuda, it is um, right and just to gas the crowd. Um, there's a model use of, of, of force policy that I actually found online for Caribbean countries that came out of a conference that various police and police oversight organizations in the region held in Jamaica in 2018. Uh, I found some interesting bits in it. Uh, it's not law, of course, it's just a model policy, but it is available online. It emphasizes human rights. Uh, and there's a part inside that says devices with indiscriminate effects and a high potential of harm, such as tear gas, 
um, and water cannons uh, may only be used in situations for the, for the purpose of dispersing a violent assembly and when all other means have failed to contain the violence. Um, now, I think it's pretty safe to say that the assembly uh, on Sunday at the time that the police engaged it was not violent. Violence took place afterwards, uh, but the assembly as they found it on Sunday was not violent. Um, wh what ought they to have done? I mean, you, you've spoken about the finding of the leaders. Uh, what ought they to have done? What do you make of the fact that um, there has been no movement in their response? They have doubled down to say we are um, quite satisfied uh, with the actions that we took. I would say is that uh, the crowd on the day in question was not violent. They had the option of beating them up. Had they taken the condition, the health and safety of them. And that is the, that's a key factor. The commanders in the ground could have liaised with the top backs, ensuring that any decision taken there and then was taken into account the interest and the safety of the public at large. There were kids there, and they must have known about the one that you spoke of relative to the 2018 meeting. They could have had the color approach in dealing with this matter. Uh Mr. Maharaj, um, I'm wondering if I could uh, play a clip for you, which is um, would be Rodney Five, Joe, and uh, just get your reaction. This, is, of course, is the police commissioner. You speaking at a press conference the day after, which was Monday. Uh, so I'm going to play this uh, clip and get your reaction to it, Mr. Maharaj. In hindsight, um, would you have done anything differently from yesterday? Yes, I would say no. And, and, and that is why I'm saying the, the, the police officers and I must commend my officers for, in spite of all the missiles that was thrown at them, they stood their ground and they remained resolute in enforcing the laws of the land. And I have to commend them. And I'm also thankful that none of them were injured in any serious way. And also, we had no protesters injured during the incident yesterday. Uh, your reaction to that? The, the commissioner, uh, Mr. Maharaj, uh, replied simply no when asked if, in hindsight, anything uh, might have been done differently. That sounds like someone who's trying to justify himself rather than reflect on what has actually happened. One of the one of the most telling aspects of the use of rubber bullets and tear gas is that not only did the police tear gas the protesters, they inadvertently tear gassed some of their own members. And if the commissioner of police can look at a situation where one group of police officers accidentally used tear gas against their own colleagues, and he can still say that he would do nothing differently, then I think he needs to consider what actually went on here. Even if one believes that the use of tear gas was appropriate, and, and I do not, um, one has to ask some very basic questions about whether the police in Antigua and Barbuda have adequate training in the use of these of these of these weapons if the result of them using it is that they gas their own members um, unless they're unless the police commissioner is going to argue that members of his own police forces were acting in a criminal way and deserve to be gassed then for that reason only he has to concede that errors were made in, in the police response i would also say that you you mentioned previous previously the what i believe was the caribbean human rights and use of force policy and you are correct that it, it is not um, it's not legally binding on any Caribbean state, but its advice is very persuasive. And one of the pieces of, of advice it gives is that aerosol weapons such as tear gas should only be used after 
people have attacked the police or attacked bystanders. And that clearly wasn't happening here. Let's ask ourselves, why was it necessary for the police to respond? The police have said that the gathering was illegal. Was illegal. Let's take that as, as given. It was an illegal gathering. At that point, when confronted with an illegal gathering, what are the police trying to achieve? If they're trying to retaliate against the protesters because the police will has been defied, then the use of force is unjustifiable. In any democracy, the use of force by the police for no other purpose than to retaliate or to punish is is illegal. The only justifiable use, only justifiable reason for the use of force is because the use of force is necessary during an illegal event to prevent greater harm coming to the public. If there was harm from this non-violent but illegal assembly, it is largely because it might be a, a spreading event during a, during a pandemic. But dispersing the crowd violently is going to make matters worse rather than better. A better uh, a response by the police in that situation would have been to cordon the protesters to ensure that they could not mill about and move to other areas and to wait them out. Because eventually, especially in the Caribbean sunshine, people will eventually tire and either decide that they are going to give up or go home. And at that point, they can then pursue, legally pursue the, the ringleaders and the organizers for having held this event. But taking, you cannot attack um, a non-violent protest, even if it is illegal, especially if you are attacking them is going to cause more harm to the people of Antigua and Barbuda than simply waiting it out and arresting them later on. Uh, and Mr. Courtney Miles, who is, is joining us on the phone now, um, uh, the fact that police managed to gas their own officers, how do you react to that? That was uh, very, very reckless, reckless. I have to agree with all the comments Mr. Maharaj made. Um, they could have uh, coordinated the police off and they could approach it from a different angle, whereas they could pursue the offenders at a later stage, via the courts, via the, the summons. You could have recorded all the actions of all the persons that were involved uh, with this protest. The protest, which was, a, was illegal, but it was not violent. That is a key point here. And if you do recall how the United States, uh, the, the protests at the White House, White House earlier in the year, they made recordings of the incident and pursued the offenders at a later date. This was an option that was available for the police of Antigua, and it was not utilized. Uh, and in terms of the persons who were affected, uh, who were not uh, 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 targeted uh, in terms of uh, bystanders in the bus station uh, and the fact that this entire process began to unfold near to communities uh, and persons, some persons were reportedly affected in their homes uh, by tear gas, uh, having nothing to do with the protests whatsoever. Um, the police commissioner, when, when questioned about, um, I, I suppose you may call it collateral damage, the, the, the police commissioner said that it was unfortunate. Do you think that those considerations, if you're going to release tear gas, that the considerations of where it's going to go in your uh, immediate environs ought to be uh, uh, of prime concern? That is of paramount importance when you're going to make a, make a decision to release tear gas. You ought to uh, look at who lives in the area, what effectively how one with the wind factor is that the wind is going to blow it down to communities 
which are not involved with the with the protest, that, that would not be fair to them. And so we have to look at all these facts when you decide to use tear gas. And I repeat that, Mr. Moderator, you they should have taken it into consideration. One, it was uh, an illegal protest. However, the fact still remains it was not violent. They could have proceeded by other means in bringing those uh, uh, pending personnel to justice. Yeah, Mr. Maharaja, um, uh, uh, I'm curious to get your take on the overall response uh, that came out at the press conference. W- what was your impression of all that was said um, by the officers present, including the, the, the commissioner, in terms of uh, giving a rundown on their views of, of what had happened the day before? Your overall impression of the press conference? See, it, my impression was that it was highly defensive. I think the police and public authorities... My own sense, just watching that press conference and reading some of some other comments made by public f- officials, is that their reflex action was to defend themselves and say, and effectively say, we did everything right. It was other people's fault, and that is a natural human reaction. I mean, they, this is a stressful situation. I'm sure they're under significant pressure and facing significant criticism. It's a completely natural human reaction to want to defend yourselves, yourself, and say, I did nothing wrong. But when you are charged as a police officer with monumental public trust and public power, when you are indeed given the power of life and death in your society, you have a duty of self-awareness. You have a duty to put the public good ahead of your own feelings of being under pressure or being criticized by your friends, your neighbors, by the media and by your fellow citizens. My hope is that once tempers have cooled, that the police and the public authorities who oversee the police will take a more restrained and more reflective look at what happened here. I suspect that one of the reasons why the situation fell apart, and I I do think it fell apart, was because protest and the occasions where the use of force against protesters has to be considered is not a common occurrence in Antigua and Barbuda. And that that is good for the country. But it also reveals quite clearly that the police, when faced with such a circumstance, were ill-prepared, ill-trained, and put inadequate thought beforehand about what they should do. Ultimately, I think clearly they should not have gassed the protesters, because by doing that, not only did they harm non-violent protesters, they also harmed innocent bystanders, they also harmed their own members, and they made the situation worse. To the extent that this was about containing and illegal protests so that it wouldn't spread the virus, they ended up scattering the protesters into the community and ensuring that any transmission of the disease will be far greater as a direct result of the use of force. By any metric, their response was a failure. I, it would not surprise me if it was unmalicious, though, if this showed a, a lack of preparation, a lack of technique, a lack of forethought. The important thing, then, is that people who have been harmed in this incident are made whole and that the police and the public authorities think critically and actually have contingency plans so that when the next protest happens when the next group comes forward and says says we want to protest that this isn't going to happen again and really that is yet another legacy of of these this series of bad decisions and that is that another protest is much more likely as a result of the police actions than if they had created options for them to protest peacefully and safely.
Uh, and Mr. Courtney Miles, uh, your overall impression of the, the press conference, uh, the mood, the atmosphere, and, and just how police responded the day after. And, and I, I, I know that, um, uh, I mean, the, the police, people, the people are quick to criticize the police in what they do. So it's not always easy to, to sit in and, and be grilled and face questions. And as Mr. Mahara said, it is easy to, to become defensive immediately, uh, especially if you, you, know, you really were attempting to do what you thought was best. But how do you think they responded uh, from what you saw in the press conference? Well, from what I, what I saw, Mr. Moderator, uh, the, the police was, was uh, extremely defensive in, in regards to the action taken by, by them. However, this has been a learning curve for them. And they will have to go back and look at the procedures that are in place, look at training, and a whole, because there are elements of training that is needed, as it was shown in the video, because you can't be deploying to a guy in an innocent, that will affect innocent people, including your own officers. This is something that is, they need, it, 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 I think they're going to call for a public inquiry into this matter to see who and why certain actions were taken and why a, a different approach was not taken to rectify the situation. There will be other protests and, we, and you can have to use this one as an example as to how they deal with protests of this nature in the, in the future. It's not over yet. It is not over yet. So we, we have to think the health and safety of all of the community and a whole as to how they're going to move themselves forward. Would you support, um, because you just mentioned the idea of an inquiry, um, I'm wondering if you would support Mr. Miles uh, as, a, as, a, as an officer uh, uh, or a retired officer of many years' experience, would you support that there be some review into the use of force policy, particularly as it regards riot control, uh, some sort of uh, outside look as to what the police force's policies are uh, and what the uh, criteria they're given in order to make decisions as to when you deploy certain uh, riot control agents. And it's interesting because uh, tear gas, in many respects, uh, is, is, is referenced as a riot control agent. So to, to use it when there is no riot uh, is, is bewildering. But do you, would you support a review of the, of the, the use of force policies as, as it regards tear gas and riot control procedures? Yes, I would uh, support an outside review. Having been a uh, uh, red squad commander, I know that uh, whenever you have to deploy tear gas, it has an extreme measure, and you have to be certain that what you, that deploying it will hit the mark. Definitely, an outside review would be of far more importance to the government and the commissioner of police. And you just remember, you want the public to be working with you, not against you. If you don't have, have the public work with you, you will never solve crime in your, in your community. You've got to have the public work with you. Now, this is where your community policing comes in. 
they, they are utilized the services of their community officers to quell this situation? That's a big question. Uh, Mr. Maharaj, let me ask you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to get your 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 feedback in terms of uh, what would have taken place afterwards uh, the escalation the rioting because of course uh, that is a big uh, a point which is raised by the police uh, and by officials who have uh, expressed the view that what took place the, the action that took place was justified that um, there were protesters afterwards who became violent and rioted um, how do you respond when persons uh, 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 will say well you know the crowd the crowd was rightfully gassed because afterwards people got violent. From what I saw, the violence happened in response to being gassed, not before they were gassed. Um, to use an analogy, I can't walk up to you and shoot you because I think you might at some future day commit a crime. The use of force against the against the crowd should only be to restrain actual actual violence. I think a stronger case can be made that the violence and the rioting that happened was a di direct response to being gassed and being shot at. Um, and that being the case, this is an example of where police action has caused the situation to escalate rather than de-escalate. If the police had set up a cordon and simply held the pro protesters where they, where they were, eventually they would grow weary and they would, they would want to leave. No one is going to stand in, in, in place under the hot sun for days at a time and everyone would have been better off. The protesters would have had their chance to be seen. The public at large would have been protected from the risk of transmission of disease. No one would have been gassed or shot. Uh, innocent bystanders surrounding the area would not have been gassed. Um, and the the air would have been let out of the tire. In, in effect, the, the energy would have, been, would have been drawn out by attacking the protesters. And that is we must call it as it is, they initiated an attack against the protesters. They caused the protesters to respond and they caused the protesters to respond violently. I think that there's there's no way one can look at the way this unfolded and think that this was a happy outcome. The question that the police must now answer for themselves is what are they going to do differently next time there's a protest? Because there will be a protest next time. I think Mr. Miles makes an excellent point and that is that in any democracy, Policing is by consent. It is by community consent. There are not enough police officers in Antigua and Barbuda. There are not enough police officers in any country of the world to enforce the law if the people see the police as the enemy. I don't think that that is the, I don't think that's the overwhelming result of, of this action. But clearly, I think that there are fewer people in Antigua and Barbuda who now look to the police as their friend than happened before this incident. And that D diminution of public confidence in policing will only make the job of the police harder and it will make law enforcement that, that much more difficult. Uh, and Mr. Courtney Miles, um, as was just uh, hinted there, public confidence in the police may have taken a bit of a dip after after Sunday's incident. As someone who, who headed up a community policing department uh, and has been engaged in uh, the sort of relationships and relationship building that a police department would want to have with its community, after an incident like this, where uh, public sentiment towards the police uh, might be a bit hardened, how do you think that the, the police and the government should go about uh, rebuilding that trust? Uh, 
that's a very big uh, building they have to do. Once they got, have to look at uh, getting all, all of their the top heads together, look at their, um, at their community policing plan, and see what they will need to do to further build back the confidence of the public. Because it has been destroyed. And it will take a lot. They might even uh, have to go as far as to bring in some outside help to bring back that confidence. Because it has, it, it, you know, nobody uh, has come forward today saying, well, we utilize the community uh, officers in the area to speak to people and show them uh, that they, this is not the answer. They're, the way they, they're doing things there. It does work. I am talking from experience, you know. In, 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 in the Cayman Islands, you know, we would have utilized our community officers they're the ones that are on the ground every day. They know, they know all the people within the community. Use, you know, use the social groups from that area. Use, use the politicians from that area. Use all your resources. There's a lot of resources that were, that were available, but it was not used. And for the, the police commission now, to gain the confidence of the public, it's going to be very, very hard for him. And he'll have a lot, a lot of rebuilding to do. And he going to have to uh, get all his commanders pretty trained in how to deal with these sorts of situations. It's abundantly clear that it was not handled correctly one one of the factors that bothers me is, is that you all officers what got carried out the general public kids come on man we, 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 i'm sure that we can we are we can do better than this uh, and the way that we go about protecting the public uh, we got to make the public work for us and Mr. Akash Maharaja, I'll bring you back in now just to ask you, um, well, two things. One would be, uh, there was an incident we didn't get to, that's unfortunate, but um, I could ask you for a quick reaction to it, and that was uh, a, a, a man being subdued by police. I think there were three officers involved in subduing him. Um, and it, that's how it appeared. Uh, two were subduing him. He seemed to, to, to be well restrained, or at least coughed already, and then another officer a gun butted him with the back of a rifle uh, while he was lying on the ground. Um, there's that, and I would uh, ask you for your final word. What do you want to leave us with? The situation you described is, again, it's more than unfortunate. I think police officers are also citizens of the country, and if it would, if it would be a crime for an ordinary citizen to commit an act, then it should also be a crime for the police officer to commit that act. In fact, it's worse when the police do it because they are using state power and because they have training. Um, unfortunately, the kind of situation that you have described is very common. In the heat of a confrontation, people become angry, they become enraged. If, they, if police officers have themselves either suffered an injury or seen their colleagues being injured, they often will take out their anger 
on someone who, whom they've been able to lay their hands on. But the fact that it's understandable, or not, I wouldn't say understandable, the fact that it is commonplace does not make it right. That is one of the reasons why why the training of police officers and the, and the job of, of, a, of a police commander, 99% of it is before criminal incidents. It's in the training of officers, it's in preparing them to, re, to react properly, it is in training them to restrain themselves, and it is in training the, the police officers to prevent crimes rather than to exacerbate crimes. The question that the people of Antigua and Barbuda will have to ask themselves after this is not only did the, the police react properly, and I think the, the answer is obviously not, but what are you going to do as a country to ensure that this does not happen again? Because whether you whether you support the police actions or you are opposed to them, whether you support the protesters or you are opposed to them, I don't think anyone can look at these events on the streets of Antigua and Barbuda and argue that this was a happy event that this is something that the people of the country would be happy to see happen again. And to the extent that there are people either in the protest movement or in the police who are saying, this is fine, we're glad we acted as we did, and were we, were we in the same position again, we would do exactly the same thing again, then that is a guarantee that we are going to see more protests, more tear gas, more injuries, more risks, risk to public health, and less public confidence in law enforcement. And that's not the kind of uh, of path that the country wants to go down. Uh, we can leave it there. We're ever so slightly over time. I want to say thank you to our two guests that joined us for this segment this afternoon. Uh, we were joined uh, by Mr. Akash Maharaj, Ambassador at Large for the Global Organization of Parliamentarians Against Corruption. Uh, and we were also joined by Mr. Courtney Miles uh, from the Cayman Islands. Uh, he is a recently retired uh, inspector of police. Uh, his career spanned 42 years, and he was most recently the head of their community policing department. Uh, thanks to both of you for joining us for this segment this afternoon.